KYW Original Podcasts. This is KYW In-Depth. My name is Matt Leon. Wanted to check in on the world of retail. Of course, the shopping experience for everyone is much, much different now than it was just a few months ago. Have things been changed forever as a result of COVID-19? What trends are we seeing in the pandemic? Which ones will stick around? Have a lot of questions for some answers. I spoke with Barbara Kahn. She is the Patty and J.H. Baker Professor of Marketing at the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. An interesting and wide-ranging conversation conversation. Give a listen. So let's kind of start big picture. Uh, Have the last few months changed the world of retail forever? Well, that's the big question, whether it's changed it forever, but it's certainly changed it for the meantime. And for the short and medium term, as long as we're in this world, it's definitely changed it. Some of the experts are questioning whether or not people will revert back to old habits once we get back to normal life. One of the things that, and this is obvious to anyone, but there has been some quantification of this and and data that supports this, is what people are calling an acceleration to digital. So obviously, when physical stores are closed and people literally can't go into physical stores, but they want to buy things, you're going to see a lot more e-commerce behavior. And some of the experts have documented this, and they've suggested that we've seen an acceleration acceleration to digital commerce by two to three years, which means we thought that people would be buying more and more online over time. But the numbers that we're seeing currently were things that we weren't predicted to see for a couple of years yet, but we're seeing them now. So in a, in a couple of months, we've accelerated the movement to digital commerce by two to three years. Are there any trends that you've noticed, read about that have surprised you? in the retail industry? Well, I mean, a lot of these trends aren't really that surprising, but it's nice to see documentation. I mean, if you're sitting home and you're thinking about this, which I guess everybody is, you can kind of estimate based on your own experience what you'd expect to see. And some of that actually is true. So like, first of all, we know that in the beginning months of COVID, the only retailers that were literally open were the essential retailers and primarily grocery and and drugstores. And so we've been monitoring behavior in those in those retail establishments and some of the trends we saw, I don't think these would be surprising, but we do have evidence of it, is that consumers or shoppers were making fewer trips and buying more per trip. So that would suggest that people, not unsurprisingly, were like reluctant to spend a lot of time in these physical stores for fear of what they might catch or, or something like that. So when they did go, they tried to get in and out quickly. We also saw, obviously, because restaurants and a lot of initially the fast food stores were closed, we also saw some differences in what people purchased. Um, people were purchasing more grocery. One of the things I thought was the most interesting is that we were seeing a lot more purchases of these legacy consumer packaged goods products. So for a while, we had been observing before COVID a decrease in market share in some of our beloved consumer packaged good products, especially around here locally, like Campbell's um, or, or the other ones like Kraft or some of those, we had seen decreases in market share as, as the younger consumers were purchasing different types of brands. But under COVID, when you were restricted 
to buying brands in your grocery store and you couldn't go out to restaurants and some of these things were harder to get, we saw a, a, a big boon in some of these leg legacy brands. So Campbell's was a big winner here, Oreos, big winner. Some of those legacy brands, the market share of those products went up in initial COVID months. Whether or not these brands will be able to keep that market share gain when people can shop more freely, you know, that remains to be seen. Obviously, and you talked about the the online trends. Another thing I'm curious about, how much will this accelerate or move the idea that you, when you go into a store, as little human contact as possible? You know, there are some self-checkout, you know, kiosks at stores. Could we see a lot of places go full on like that and in, instead of employees on a sales floor, a kiosk that allows you to ask a question into a search engine or a chat or something like that. Do you, do you sense that we're going to go in that direction? I actually think it's going to go in two directions. So one of the things that this acceleration to digital or whatever, if you're thinking about retail, one of the things obviously, like, as I just mentioned, more people buying on online and things like that has, has, um, accelerated the importance of convenience and frictionless. And um, so I do think you're going to see more convenient shopping. A lot of times, even locally, if you go into the, the, the essential retail that's open has really moved very quickly to their faster payment processes. So you don't have to sign in many places where you used to, and you could just stick your credit card in and get in and out much quicker. I think that over time, we're going to see more and more frictionless transactions and spending less time on routine purchases. Maybe we'll start accelerating mobile payment and things like that, contactless payment and all of that. I think people's hunger for, for that convenience has been accelerated. But on the same token, and I'm sure a lot of people feel this personally, there's a hunger for the social interaction, for the fun of shopping, et cetera. So I think you're going to see these two trips. You're going to see an acceleration of frictionless shopping. But when we can go back into stores, when you can go into dressing rooms, which we're starting to see in Philadelphia here, and you can talk to social, have social interaction with in-store sales associates, people hunger for that as well. You know, that's what they've missed from e-commerce. Um, and so you'll see people want to spend more time in the store doing things they used to do. But what I think you won't see is stuck in the middle, boring retail that's not either efficient or fun. I think you'll see this this movement to one or the other. How about the concept, something I've noticed that I never, maybe it was around and it was just not something anybody I knew took advantage of, the curbside pickup. You order on your phone at Target. I know my wife does this a lot and goes and, you know, they just put it in your trunk and you, you go on your way. Is that something... Do you think there'll be enough demand for that in a quote-unquote normal time that it will become a pretty common arrow in the quiver for retailers? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's an interesting development. We had one of the things, I've been studying retail for a while. I wrote this book called The Shopping Revolution, and it was published, I guess, in 2018. And I'm actually currently revising it because, as you can imagine, retail's changed quite a bit. Um, but we have been seeing some of these trends for a while. And again, COVID just really accelerated it. So this idea, buy online, pick up in the store, 
or pick up curbside. That had been a trend that had been going for a while, slowly. Walmart had been doing a lot of that and they had revamped a lot of their systems so that they could provide that facility even before COVID happened because Walmart had to be responding to the threat of Amazon and e-commerce and things like that. So we had seen that start before, but there's no question when the physical store has to be closed and you still want to get something from a local retailer, this is a solution that kind of fits the bill. Uh, but again, what I think we, you know, it's anybody's guess what's going to happen when we get back to full normal behavior. But I do think things that are just decidedly better will stick around. And when you're not interested in shopping in the store and you can do what you want to do online, the idea of being able to pick it up, you know, by the store curbside on the way home from something, that's a pretty attractive idea. It's attractive to the consumer, especially consumers who spend a lot of time in their cars. Uh, so it's not that big a deal to go out of the way on, you know, on the way from here to there to pick something up. It's convenient. Um, and that's the case for a lot of Walmart stores, which are not necessarily in cities, but in places where people drive. It's also it, it's it, the suggestion that it will remain is also true because it's good for the retailer. One of the most expensive parts of, of online retail is what's called the last mile. And what that means is taking the good and delivering it to each individual household. That's actually very expensive. So if you could get consumers or shoppers to all come to a central point and pick it up close to home, but not that very last mile to delivery to your doorstep, that is convenient for shoppers because you don't have to be home when it's delivered, but it's also very convenient for retailers because it eliminates that very expensive last mile. You're even seeing Amazon doing that with lockers and things so that you pick it up at an Amazon store that's close to you and Amazon doesn't have to deliver it that last mile to your house. So that's an idea that's just a good idea from both sides, from the consumer side and from the retailer side. So I don't like to predict the future, but I would predict we will see more of that because it just makes so much sense. You have mentioned several times in this conversation how the pandemic has just accelerated a, a trend. I think one thing we've seen is we've seen a lot of brands file for bankruptcy or go away completely. Are you surprised by the number we've seen? Do you think we are past the worst of that? Or do you think there are going to be more kind of head-turning bankruptcies within the retail uh, circle to come? No, unfortunately, I think there's probably going to be more. I mean, one of the things, as I said, I wrote this book and what precipitated my writing the book was what people called in 2017, the retail apocalypse. So what we were seeing is a lot of these retail stores were closing down. A lot of chains went out of business, Toys R Us, Radio Shack, you know, Silver City. That's been happening for a while. And, it, and another thing that's accelerated by COVID is this closing down of these retail stores. So uh, 2017, 2017 was dubbed the retail apocalypse. 2018 was a slightly better year. 2019 was worse still. And you can imagine 2020 is just going to be devastating. Anybody who is weak going into COVID, you, that's going to be hard to come out on the other side. So unfortunately, I think we will see a lot more closings of stores that won't be able to make it. Um, I know this is particularly threatening to some of our local small retailers and Hopefully the um, 
the support that people have for local retailers can help them over some of these big bumps. You know, I personally, I live in center city, Philadelphia. And one of the things I love about living in Philadelphia is to see all the small retailers that are here. I really love the fact that the city has so much character because we have so much interesting local retail. Um, and I hope it doesn't go away. But these are very difficult times for those retailers. And whether or not they can make it to the other side, I don't know. So we've talked a lot about, you know, obviously there's the essentials, grocery stores, your Walmarts, which have surged through this because of what they bring to the table. And then at the other end of the spectrum, you've got maybe your higher end retailers. And how are they dealing with this? Because I think a lot of your luxury items maybe are more of a shopping experience thing. And you got a ton of people out of work. So what are you seeing with kind of your luxury or high end retailers? So the short answer to your question about luxury is that luxury sales are down, but it's a more complicated answer than that. Um, typically, luxury are purchased are purchased luxury items are purchased by high income people, and many of those people still have the money to purchase luxury, but they're choosing not to. Obviously, people who have lost their job and used to buy luxury and things like that, those people are going to prioritize other purchases that are more essential than luxury. So you'll see some decrease in luxury purchases by people who are in different economic circumstances. But even people who still have the money and could afford luxury are not purchasing luxury as much. So the numbers in luxury are going way down. Um, And there's several reasons for that. One of them a lot of the luxury purchases are things that you need face to face to to encourage the purchase of. Like a lot of people buy luxury uh, because they like to show it off. There's like social there's social signaling about it. Uh, you buy luxury because you you just enjoy the benefit of these quality purchases. Um, in the real life. But if you're sitting at home day after day after day, looking at your computer screen and they're only seeing, you know, your head, um, buying all this luxury product just isn't useful. Um, people are not going to face-to-face weddings. They're not going to these extravagant balls where you would see luxury purchases. So there's just not the reason to buy. The other reason that some people are not buying luxury is out of a sense of it's just not appropriate. Even if you have the money to purchase luxury, but you know that there's great economic disparity out there, that people are losing their jobs, it feels pretty tacky and insensitive to go and spend money on something that is not as useful. Um, And hopefully some of those people who have the money, they might be altruistic, they might be generous. There's a lot of other issues going on. Maybe they're spending money instead of on luxury on supporting people less fortunate than themselves. You can you can speculate a lot of reasons, but bottom line, the answer to your question is yes, luxury is hurt. Um, we do we can look at luxury. We can't we do have some evidence from past economic crises. Obviously, this is not the same thing as COVID. COVID is an amazingly unique situation that has hit us in a lot of different ways. But in recent memory, we have seen we have seen what's happened post the 2008-2009 crisis. And interestingly enough, during that uh, economic downturn, we saw luxury come back faster than other segments. Part of the reason luxury came back faster at that time was because of the strength of the Chinese consumer. China buys a lot of luxury. Um, and now this 
we'll see what happens now because China obviously has been hit by COVID also, obviously. Um, and so what will happen to luxury purchase and how fast luxury will come back will be a function not only of what's happening in the U.S., but what's happening globally. With regard to retail supply chains, do you think you could see companies rethink getting stuff from far away that might be a little bit cheaper and reevaluating that, yeah, we might pay X amount to get it made in the next state over, but we are more protected if another situation like this comes? Or do you think uh, eventually the, the cheapest avenue will win? Yeah, I don't know. I'm not a supply, supply chain expert or a global economist, so I don't want to speculate outside of my wheelhouse on that. Um, but, you know, I don't think it's a bad bet to predict as time goes on, price considerations are, and cost considerations are going to start to predominate again, even if there's other issues. I mean, any, any manager is constantly balancing all sorts of trade-offs and risks. Um, so what you're suggesting is the risk might be that, you know, you're, you're vulnerable, but trading off on a price advantage. And I think sophisticated managers will be able to make those trade-offs. So I don't want to speculate on that. One thing, though, that I do know um, that I think is interesting is some of the supply chain um, problems from our current situation. It's kind of interesting, you know, like, for example, um, with everybody at home, that probably toilet paper is one that got a lot of media attention, but there's other things like soap and stuff like that. The actual use of these essential items like soap and toilet paper and whatever, it hasn't really gone up. We're not, if anything, we're taking fewer showers, not more, right? But the problem is that a lot of these products were in the wrong place. So if you were using soap or toilet paper and you were going into work, you were using it there rather than using it in your home. And the supply chain is very different to, to put the product in commercial places versus in the home. I was talking about the last mile and things like that. One of the things is the difference in the efficiency and delivery. But the other thing is if you're using soap in the at work, the purchase of that soap is in a big bulk purchase because you're using it for a lot of people. So it's packaged in really big containers. Whereas you're using soap at home, you want it in the small size. And so there were a lot of logistics and supply chain issues, even for items that you wouldn't predict an increase in demand, but where people were using them were different. So there's a lot, a lot of logistic issues that had to be satisfied very quickly. Uh, and I was speaking to somebody from UPS who they're used to responding very quickly to changes. I mean, they, I'm sure they didn't predict COVID, but they do have systems in place to respond very quickly to, to disasters. So a tsunami comes or a natural disaster and they have to pivot and move very quickly. Um, so it's interesting to see how some of these supply chain challenges that COVID caused. I, I come back to the 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 idea of this accelerating trends and i wanted to talk about malls the shopping mall they were struggling what do you foresee for the next couple years are we witnessing the real-time death of shopping malls or do you think there is a reimagining to be had with those spaces that could transform them into something a little different than what we're used to yeah, that's really hard to predict when that's going to come back. But I'd go back to the principle I stated earlier, which I think anything that's more convenient to buy online is going to suffer in shopping malls. People are just not going to go make 
things that are just easier to buy online and faster and and, and easier. They're just going to buy those online. So that kind of business probably will start to be pulled out of the shopping malls. On the other hand, and so you're seeing the closing. And as I said, I started doing this since 2017. We're seeing the closing of what are called B and C malls, less prestigious, less fancy malls. They're, they're ranked by A, B, and C. And you can imagine what that means. Those uh, B and C malls have been closing for a while because e-commerce have kind of put a cut into that. But again, there's a lot of things that people like to do in face-to-face. And the more you stay at home, the more you value face-to-face. So you kind of get it. Um, but, but that is interesting in a mall because people are still worried. We were talking earlier, just anecdotally, you and I, about what's going to happen with sports and face-to-face there. There's a lot of challenges in that face-to-face world that's going to be around for a while. We know this is not going away. And mall is that way. If you could feel safe going to some of these fancy malls, then I would predict what you were suggesting, a repurposing of the fancy malls to be places that people like to go for entertainment, the flagship stores, maybe more restaurants, more bowling alleys, more movies or whatever else, because people really enjoy those activities and they wouldn't go away. That's what I would predict if COVID wasn't around. But what? how does all of that get changed when we just don't know what's safe and, you know, we've already seen the closing of retail and restaurants and hospitality, the opening, and now we're in the reclosing stage and um, whether, you know, I think Philadelphia was supposed to move to green and a move to light green, you know, and things like that. So it's very hard to predict whether or not we're going to be able to have open face to face. And there are a lot of, there are a lot of concerns there and not the least of which is to try to predict human behavior because we're seeing people take risks that are accelerating, you know, not flattening the curve. They're accelerating the likelihood of more spikes. And it's very hard to predict how people are going to react. Amazon was a monster before this, given the ability to get just about anything delivered to your house through Amazon. Is this I don't. I didn't know if it was possible for them to get even bigger. But is this just adding more fuel to the Amazon fire? Yeah, I mean, Amazon is definitely one of the winners in COVID. You know, and hopefully they're acting responsibly and trying. You know, when they first when they first were the only ones around, they were prioritizing essential purchases, and they had logistic issues too because they weren't ready to ramp up to this increased demand. Amazon is certainly. Um, and Amazon's smart. So, you know, they'll learn very fast and they'll take these opportunities and accelerate them. And, and you can't help but predict they're going to grow bigger. What are some of the things that are threats to Amazon, though? I think, first of all, other retailers are getting smart too. Walmart as an example, and they're giving Amazon a run for their money for sure. The other thing we're starting to see is some idea that maybe there's antitrust issues with Amazon. So I think you're starting to see some antitrust situations going up and anti-competitive. You know, if you're too big, at some point you start to see some um, some pushback on that level. So you might see some regulation changes with regard to Amazon. One of the things also, though, that Amazon really has to do a better job on, in my in my opinion, is Amazon right now is a marketplace. 50% of it is, is sold by Amazon in first-party relationships, but 50% is third-party. And there's a lot of counterfeiting, a lot of you're getting packages that you didn't know what you bought on Amazon 
there are a lot of people who are dissatisfied. They thought they bought one thing and they actually bought another thing. And so there's been a lot of complaints on Amazon. And I think they're going to have to clean that up or they're going to lose people's trust on that dimension. So the two things that I think are threats for Amazon right now are some antitrust litigation and how that plays out. It's already happening in Europe and elsewhere around the world. We're starting to see it in the U.S. also. And then they're just really going to have to get their marketplace into better shape and to really control this counterfeit and third-party merchants. They're going to have to control that situation better than I think they have in the past. We talked earlier about, you know, so many brands and, and companies have filed for bankruptcy or gone under. Kind of the other end of the spectrum, are there any brands, companies that you think kind of past your Amazons, your Walmarts, but that have handled this moment these last few months particularly well and may have grown their market, not just because they provide delivery or stuff, but just because how they've they've navigated and handled the last few months? Yeah, I mean, there have been some, like we already talked about Walmart. Target has also responded pretty well. Um, some of the brands have done, Nike, I mean, Nike is a strong, you know, Nike did that whole Michael Jordan thing and got everybody thinking about Jordans again. That was pretty classy. I mean, Nike obviously had to close physical stores and they suffered. Their numbers went down, but their e-commerce business was high. And Nike brand is stronger than ever, I think. And they're going to pivot to be more and more direct with a direct-to-consumer experience. Um, so I think Nike is in a strong position. Lululemon, again, they were hurt. Clearly, when the Lulu stores went down, um, you're going to see a loss in sales there for sure. But I think Lulu is a very strong brand that has very strong connection with their local communities. Lulu had invested in local ambassadors, and a lot of those local ambassadors were live streaming and doing things to keep up their connections with their consumers. So I think Lulu responded super well to some of these things. Dollar General actually was doing very well. They responded well. There have been definitely winners and, you know, unfortunately, you know, brands that just couldn't reopen. And then, of course, we saw it very strongly in Philadelphia, but Black Lives Matter and the protests, that's brought in another dimension to this whole issue. And so the, the brands that understand those issues, that's going to be an important criterion going forward. That's it for this episode of KYW In-Depth Coronavirus. For more stories about the coronavirus pandemic here in the Philadelphia area, or if you want to know how what you see or hear on the news is going to change your own life or your own routine, then subscribe to the KYW In-Depth podcast. Search for KYW In-Depth on the Radio.com app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. My name is Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.